doing today? I'm doing very well, and I'm delighted to be with you, Patrick. Well, it's always great to have you on the air. I'm so grateful that you and Archbishop Hebda are taking some time to be on the show regularly, and uh, we are grateful for all of your insights. And today, I know we're talking about something that's right up your alley, and that is missionary discipleship. So we have lots of things to say, of course, about this, but I want to start out with just a question. Oftentimes, we hear that we're living in a post-Christian culture. And I guess my question is, Bishop, would you agree with that? And if so, what does that actually mean? Absolutely, I would agree that we are living in a post-Christian culture. And basically what that means is that um, the gospel, uh, which we have all inherited from Christianity and from our Lord, no longer informs the general mores and lifestyle of the public in which we live. And if anything, certainly the events that we've seen um, in the last weeks um, are surrounding the transfer of power to a new president. And it underscores this reality that we're living in a, in a culture where um, people don't act like Christians when they want to deal with their disagreements or struggles or um, how, how we work in our society. And uh, that happens on both sides. I mean, we're, we've been living through actually a year of incredible unrest and violence um, from both the political left and the political right. And it just reveals that the gospel is something else and can't be attributed to one of those political parties. And fundamentally, the gospel is not a political movement. But it's really important for us to understand that we're living in this post-Christian world because that shapes how we go about living Christianity today uh, than when we before did live in a Christian world where we could presume that certain things would happen, um, that, our, that our certain values would be supported, that people would treat each other a certain way, that certain things were true and known to be true and held up to be true and good in society. And that's not the case anymore. And so it has to inform our life. A lot of the readings that have come out in popular Catholic uh, writings in the last, I don't know, decade or maybe maybe 20 years now have really focused in on the fact that we are no longer able to live in maintenance mode. I don't know if we ever were supposed to be living in maintenance mode, but if you can expound a little bit on that, Bishop, about what that idea of living in a post-Christian culture how that might uh, not have really entered fully into the the mind of the church yet and what still needs to be done. Yeah, so it's really actually hard to get out of maintenance mode. Um, all of us, I think, were probably raised in a in a Christian Christianity in our in our culture in the United States where the fundamental job of the church was to maintain this Christian way of life, right? And so, we maintained parishes, we maintained schools, we maintained certain programs, and um, and people showed up, and uh, those programs worked, and they served a purpose. But the fact is, you're exactly right. Um, if you actually look at what the popes have been saying, really since the time of the Second Vatican Council, and one of the things that the Second Vatican Council really focused on was the need for the renewal of the church precisely to be able to deal with the modern culture, to have a more vigorous proclamation of the gospel in the modern culture. And so you can go all the way back to Pope Paul VI, um, certainly uh, St. John Paul II, St. Paul VI. Um, but I remember, you know, 1990, St. John Paul II said, 
He said, I sense that the moment has come to commit all the church's energies to a new evangelization and to the mission agentis. No believer in Christ, no institution in the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. He's saying everything we do, all the church's energies have to be dedicated to this new evangelization. But the point is, Pope Francis began his pontificate with exactly the same emphasis. He said, I dream of a missionary option that is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times and schedules, language and structures can be suitably channeled for the evangelization of today's world rather than for self-preservation. So this is a really universal message that we're invited uh, to rethink how we live our faith so that we are doing everything we can to evangelize the world in which we live. Well, and we've gone, as you know, Bishop, we've undergone this uh, rebranding here on the show. So we're no longer the Rediscover Hour. We're now practicing Catholic. And so if anything, it serves to really focus our attentions on the guests that we have, the people that we talk to, and how we can encourage one another to really live out our pra- our, our Catholic faith, to practice our Catholic faith. And from everything that I'm hearing you say, and again, this is no great surprise, but it must needs include some sort of evangelistic practice as well to be sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. But you know what? Evangelism still kind of scares some Catholics. The whole idea about evangelization and evangelism, talking about the gospel, sharing the gospel. So what advice would you have for for regular Sunday mass goers uh, who are practicing Catholics, but are a little intimidated about the whole idea about sharing the good news of Jesus. Yeah, this is where actually the phrase which Pope Francis has used so consistently, missionary discipleship, is important. So we've often, maybe not even often, but in the last 20 years or so, we've talked a lot about discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But Pope Francis's point, and this is not just him, but the tradition, that to be a disciple means to be a missionary. And in fact, the faith is given in order that the faith might be shared, right? That's the real goal of, of the giving of the faith, that it might be shared. And so we have that responsibility, each of us, to find ways within our sphere to share our faith. And um, that, of course, we, we, you know, as Catholics, we sort of instinctively go to, well, that means I have to witness by how I live. And that's true. You do have to witness by how you live. And just today, living as a Christian is a radical thing. So, for example, young people who choose not to live together before they get married, radical. Who does that? Uh, Parents who decide to have more than two children to be really open to life, radical witness in today's world. But we have to do more than that. We have to be ready to give an explanation for the reason, for the hope in our hearts. We have to be ready to tell people who Jesus Christ is and why he makes a difference in my life. And so uh, we need to be actually know, for example, I think your average Sunday going Catholic should know how to give a testimony and they should think about, okay, if I had two, three minutes to explain why Jesus Christ is central to my life, how would I say that? What difference has he made? Where did I encounter him? How could I talk about that? How can I bring that up? How can I begin to give an apology, which is a, you know a reason for why um, Jesus Christ is central to my life. And I think our parishes, you know, we need small groups to help each other think and talk about this. 
it'd be wonderful if your average Pugon Catholic starts to think, okay, who's my sphere of influence? Who are the people that the Lord brings into my life who I could influence for Christ, who I could try to share the love of Christ with? And if they even began to talk to their pastor and say, hey, Father, you know, I want to be an evangelist. How should I do that? And let's get people together to think about this because if our parishes don't become mission centers, they won't be around. Amen to that. All right. So may I put you on the spot a little bit here, Bishop? Sure. I'm asking your permission here before I do it. So my, my question to you is, okay, if people need to be ready, so tell us, Bishop, why is Jesus Christ so important to you? You know, uh, every human life goes through difficulty and struggle. And I've sort of discovered as I've looked around across um, the world today that it's a strange thing, maybe not, it may be excusable, that people sort of think happiness is found in setting up my life right. You know, if I just have the right friends, the right job, the right social life, the right possessions, the right house, all these things, if I get everything right, then I'll become happy. And I've discovered that that is a useless struggle because I'll never get all those things right. And that happiness actually comes from knowing who I am. And I was created by God and I was redeemed by Jesus Christ. And when I discover that Jesus knows me and that he's called me to follow him and he has a plan for my life, that transforms everything in my life and actually makes happiness possible. So I would say without Jesus, you can't truly be happy. It's another way of saying that, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in the Lord, as St. Augustine said in the very first chapter of the Confessions. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen that in very concrete ways in my life because I've had to go through suffering in my life as every person does. And what you can discover with Jesus is that suffering can have meaning and suffering can be actually something that um, strengthens me and draws me closer to Jesus and actually can even be a source of joy if I come to know who Jesus is and how he transforms life. So I think, you know, uh, life without him would be meaningless. Wow. All right. It's so good to hear our bishop say it. Let me just, let me just speak for everyone listening right now that it's so good to hear our bishop say, I know, I know, well, I presume you all live that way, but it's so good to hear it from a bishop. Um, so thank you for that, Bishop Cousins. We're grateful. Uh, well, now, it sounds like from everything that you've said today, you were a, a good choice for uh, the appointment as chairman of the USCCB's Committee for Evangelization and Catechesis. Tell us a little bit about what that role entails. Yeah, so the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is a group of, um, has many different committees, and those committees exist to serve bishops and dioceses in the various areas of church life. And one of the important committees uh, is the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, and it exists to provide a service to bishops and dioceses in, in the areas of evangelization and catechesis. And so uh, we focus on different needs in a, in a given time, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, the whole Bishops' Conference has certainly seen the great need for evangelization. Uh, I took over this job from Bishop Robert Barron, who had really focused the work of the committee on those who were disaffiliating from the church, which as we know, our young people, especially seven out of 10 young adult Catholics don't practice the faith right now. And the, that's a really scary number when you carry that out, right? Um, yeah. Many times we think they're gonna come back, but uh, statistics are showing today they don't come back. 
And so we have a real need to evangelize, for example, the disaffiliated. We have a, a need to find ways to prevent disaffiliation. And so our committee tries to serve that need within bishops. And so we've done things like produce a field guide to help um, deal with the problem of disaffiliation and to prevent disaffiliation. Um, we've produced other resources around missionary discipleship and trying to help parishes to become missions, mission centers. Um, the other area with, that we look at intensely is catechesis. And the church just gave a new directory for catechesis, an international uh, directory, which came out of Rome. It's a wonderful document that really speaks about the, what we are calling on the committee an evangelizing catechesis. And that it's not just enough to give information, but the way that we give the information, the pedagogy that we use must introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ and the life-saving transformative power of Jesus, which we call charismatic catechesis, right? So it's our job to um, help be a leaven amongst the bishops' conference and all the different dioceses in the country in this area of evangelization and catechesis. Wonderful. And again, I think I can speak for all our listeners in saying that we are so grateful that you are heading that up. We will continue to pray for you as you take on this important role, as you continue on in this important role. And I am I'm excited. I'm excited about where we can go as a church, as a national church, as a local church, uh, with all the initiatives that are out there and the inspired uh, Catholic faithful who are doing a lot in this area. I'm looking that it just continues to expand, including hopefully, please God, right here on Practicing Catholic. Well, Bishop, we've just about reached the end of our time. So before we let you go, uh, we would ask you for your blessing, if you would, please. Of course. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon each of you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Bishop Cousins, thank you as always for joining us here on Practicing Catholic. You're welcome. God bless you. All right. So isn't that great? Isn't it always great to hear from Bishop Cousins and Archbishop Hebda here on the show? Thank you to both of our bishops for taking the time to be with us on a regular basis. All right. We're going to head into our first break. When we come back, we've got Libby DuPont and Sharon Pereira. They're going to be talking to us about the annual Archdiocesan newly married retreat, which is coming up soon. So stay with us. Stay with us. 